The Spiritual Freedom Show with Richard Lawrence, where politics is not the answer, materialism counts for nothing, and spirituality will set you free. Welcome to the Spiritual Freedom Show. I'm Richard Lawrence, and this is an Ethereus podcast. And I'm delighted to say we're syndicated on other radio networks, Body, Mind, Spirit Radio, WTRM, The Trim Radio Network, Transformation Talk Radio, home of the Dr. Pat Show, and Oneness Talk Radio. Today we're going to be joined by two more very good friends of mine. We're going to be joined by Brian Craig, our healing administrator at the European headquarters and uh, a very experienced person in spiritual matters. And also by Zasha Brazili, who will be joining us from the north of England to lead us in a practice. And of course, as always, we're joined by our producer, Darren Ball, and he tells me he's got some humdingers of questions up his sleeve. And thank you, by the way, everyone, for your all those who've written to us, who've uh, sent your text, your emails, your comments, your questions. And we do appreciate the feedback we get from you and your very nice uh, responses to our show. It's, it's very, very encouraging for us. We realize this is a show... For the few, it's not for... In fact, the nine freedoms were delivered for the few thinkers. Those are the words actually in the ninth freedom. So this isn't necessarily everybody's cup of tea, but I do believe more and more is going to be more and more people's cup of tea. We hope so. And we're going to carry on today something we started in the last show, which is looking at the most gigantic, what uh, Dr. King himself found to be absolutely staggering revelation. It's one of the key moments in the nine freedoms. It deserves more than one show for us to really get the significance. I, I actually think, and it's just my opinion, that this particular statement contains all, to some degree anyway, all the great changes in New Age teaching. It's the great shift from old age philosophy, and let me stress this, practice, because on the Spiritual Freedom Show, as you know, we're interested in how we can apply these things. Even if they're in the eighth or ninth freedom, we still want to try and find a way of applying them in the here and now on planet Earth, if we can, to some even, albeit limited, degree. And this is absolutely fundamental to so many aspects, we were able to bring some of them out, but I think only a fraction of them out last time. And just to remind you, if you didn't hear the last show, or even if you did, we're looking at this statement in the seventh freedom, that's the, the freedom of interplanetary existence. And the statement is this, this is the secret of creation, it is the secret of preservation, it is the secret of transmutation, it is the sacred word A-U-M. Now, that is the massive shift, the shift that staggered Dr. King when he heard it. And bear in mind, he didn't hear it until after the transmission was delivered. 
So elevated is his somatic trance condition when he receives it or received a cosmic transmission. And, and I've said before, I think as far as we know, this is a unique form of mediumship in history, certainly in the public eye. Uh, I don't think any other medium that I've ever come across describes this type of condition. And in it, Dr. King elevates his consciousness so high that he precludes his conscious mind, or you perhaps in this show, we should say transmutes his cosmic uh, conscious mind into super pure super consciousness. So therefore, he does not have conscious or did not have conscious memory or recall after the transmission of what had been said. There's a famous example when he was on a, a television show in America, I think it'd be about 1960 or 61. And, uh, he, he took a transmission live, just as he'd done over here in the UK. In fact, there's a clip you can find it on, on, um, on the internet of him doing it on a BBC TV show. And in America, he was asked after the show why the master Ethereus said X, Y, or Z. And, of course, he had to say, well, I can't answer that because I haven't heard it. He didn't know what was in that transmission. But when he did know uh, the seventh freedom, when he played it back and he heard this particular revelation, he himself, with all his knowledge, all his mastery, and he had a high degree of mastery in 1961 when this was delivered, he was staggered. He had to change his thinking, never mind people like ourselves. So the change is from two words, from transmigration to transmutation. Wisdom, and this is one of the aspects of it, is no longer attained through divorcing from experience, but from mastery of experience. Enlightenment is no longer attained through negation of thought impulse, but through the transmutation of this energy. Uh, as it said in the fourth blessing, for those of you who may be familiar with the 12 blessings, it describes experience, quotes, as the greatest gift from man or even God to man. It's no longer seen as it was actually, strangely, by some old yogis as a bad thing, something to be avoided uh, as a diversion from advancement. But it's now seen, if it's correctly manifested, as its very essence. And for those of us on a path of service, for those of us on a path of prayer, on a path of healing, on a path of mantra, this is indeed a wonderful thing because it's telling us that we can raise uh, our consciousness uh, through those practices. We don't have to go off and divorce and go into long periods of meditation. Every time we pray, every time we heal, every time we do the breathing exercises, and let me stress particularly, every time we give service, even if it's mundane service, even if it involves computer work or doing the books or repairing a wall or whatever it might be, we are, because of the motivation behind it, we are raising those energies, we are transmuting those energies. And that's why this path really works. I often refer back to the second freedom when we're told what true love is. And we're told by Mars Sector 6 that true love is radiated through the heart center, the throat center, and the Christ center. What does that mean? That means that to demonstrate true love when we're able to do that, 
we must have raised the energies, we must have transmuted the energies from the lower centers to those very high centers, number one. Number two, there must be a kundalini activation to some degree, not an entire full lodging of kundalini, but an activation by kundalini of those very high centers. So you can absolutely see why love, service, which is the expression of love, particularly if it's the highest forms of service, through cooperating with the cosmic plan, above all, I would say, but there are many ways to serve, then you must have raised and you must be in the process of raising those energies. I think the Master Jesus says in the third freedom, again, coming back to the freedom, this isn't an exact quote, these are, this is my re- recollection of it, that the, the they who love have the difficult task of transmuting the basic energies into love. And this is a difficult task. It's work in progress, I think, for many of us, but it's all a process of transmutation. But today, we want to look at an aspect of this teaching, which is that we evolve collectively, not individually. And that's another whole aspect which we weren't even able to touch on, but it's a massive aspect. It bears so much on everything we've learned, really, uh, in in new in true genuine new age teaching, certainly through the Ethereum Society. So rather than introduce this myself, it's much better to hear from Dr. King, who's had a real, as one would expect, understanding, deep understanding, and realization of what this simple statement of transmutation rather than transmigration. Uh, rather than just evading, avoiding, uh, moving away from through transmigration, changing, transmuting, raising through transmutation, uh, he then, through this light, which we're now going to play you, this is an extract from his commentary on the seventh freedom and on that particular aspect. Just in a moment, um, I'm going to ask Darren to play that to you. But before I do, you know, one of the goals, I think, of this humble show, and certainly one, I think, of the great aspects of the nine freedoms is that they bring us into line with the path followed by cosmic intelligences. And those intelligences, and it's interesting, it's given in the seventh freedom, interplanetary existence, and it now applies to us here on Earth. Before, it didn't. Before, it didn't. Before, the path delivered and taught and effectively practiced was a path of transmigration by many of those who evolved all the way up through, as it says, I think, the ladder to uh, ascension, I think it says, of the sixth freedom. Uh, But now we are in line with those on other worlds who are practicing this path of creation, preservation, transmutation. So um, we're going to listen now to Dr. King speaking from a lecture delivered uh, in 1961 on this aspect of the seventh freedom. The inference here, the obvious inference here is that you cannot go back to the source as an individual. It's not possible as an individual now. You must go back to the source as a part of a collective principle. In other words, 
Again, it infers this. You can't go back even as a Buddha. A Buddha is nothing in comparison with a planet. You can't even go back as a planet because you haven't transmuted matter. Again, it's obvious. You can't even go back as a sun because you still haven't transmuted matter. You can't even go back as a galaxy because you still haven't transmuted matter. You're still existing. So you have to be something greater than a galaxy, greater than a lord of creation before you can go back. And that's what this means. That's why, to me, it's so staggering. If you want to draw a picture of it, and this would be a limited picture, if you wanted to draw a picture of it, you would have to depict God as some kind of light and, and all that there is, absolutely all there is, drifting slowly towards this light. And you will not go back until all that there is goes back in this way. Because you see, you're part of all that there is. And all that there is can't go back until all that there is is ready to go back. It's absolutely amazing stuff, if I can use the word stuff. It's incredible revelations here. Uh, and it affects everything. It affects the way we understand the evolution, even as we're told here, of a galaxy. I mean, you can see now how enormous this is. In the past, uh, particularly, I believe, in certain Buddhist paths, it was taught you meditate, meditate your way, um, and you detach from all worldly life all the way through to nirvana, then you amalgamate with divinity, and that's that. Uh, basically, you're, you're then amalgamated with God. But no. And you kind of leave behind, and not just in Buddhism. This, was, this predated Buddhism by many, many centuries, by thousands of years, actually. Um, this kind of a concept, and you've seen it in many traditions, strangely even in Western traditions, strangely came in in a certain way into the monastic traditions and the hermetic traditions of Christianity. You wouldn't think so, given the, the, what Master Jesus did and how he lived and how his disciples lived, but it did. Not very long after his resurrection, that tradition started to grow because I think it was inculcated into the mind belt of this earth. But now we can see not even a galaxy, not even a planet, not even a sun can return to God on its own. And this puts a whole different aspect on evolution. And it makes us understand why, in a different way, why they make this phenomenal sacrifice. It is a sacrifice. I'm talking now about the planets, the suns, the galaxies. They hold their evolution back for the sake of lower forms of life, particularly very low forms of life, such as those of us on Earth, frankly. But you can see also now, as well as seeing it as a sacrifice, which it definitely is, because they don't actually have to do that kind of sacrifice, you can see the logic, though, as well, that they know in a way that we don't understand knowing. They know that they're all part of us and all life has to go back. And it makes a difference to every single thing we look at. I mean, so great is a galaxy, it defies our comprehension. 
And the very knowledge, actually, that the galaxy is a living being, which was revealed first in the 12 blessings, immediately raises our consciousness. I want to add in another thing. I mentioned prayer and mantra and ways of transmuting energies. Another way, of course, is exactly what we're doing right now, studying truth, studying, and the greater the truth, the more advanced the truth, if we're able to grasp an aspect of it, and this is advanced truth, but it's accessible, it's understandable to, a, to, to our degree anyway, depending how much we focus on it. Hence, we're trying to focus so deeply on it in this show as we did in the last one. So, it, And when we do that, that will raise the energies, that will affect the Kundalini, that will cleanse the Nardic system. It's all a process of transmutation. But coming back to the galaxy, the Master Jesus described such a one as a Lord of creation who's sacrificing its wondrous self upon the plane of preservation. Such a sacrifice and the compassion behind it is beyond our comprehension. We can only try to appreciate it. But this statement by Mars Sector 6, with Dr. King's explanation of it, which we've just heard, takes us further. Because even a galaxy cannot return to its source as an individual. Why? Because it hasn't yet transmuted all matter. Even an intelligence of this divine caliber cannot transmigrate its way back to God. If only because the life forms within it, planets and low forms such as ourselves and other planetary races relatively, are holding it back. And it's part of us. We're all collective. We're all one. And such a transmutation has to be done collectively. And that's why, that surely is why, service has to be the greatest thing we can do. It kicks the other forms of yoga into touch, if you know that phrase, if you're a rugby player, because it's the only one which incorporates all life, all matter. Uh, I, I really think this whole concept of evolution being collective, not individual, will transform our whole approach to life, our whole approach to service, which I no doubt we're already giving. Uh, and it all comes back to this one great change from transmigration to transmutation. Now, I'm going to get into trouble with my producer, and that's not a good place to be, if I don't go to him quite quickly with his many questions. So, Darren, welcome to the show. Hi, Richard. Thanks very much. And hello to everybody listening. Uh, always a joy to receive the feedback, comments, and questions we get, and uh, especially to hear about your spiritual experiences, one of which I have on the show today, um, all of which uh, we really do appreciate being able to share live on the show, both Richard and I. So if you're hearing this for the first time or you haven't written to us before, we do warmly invite you to leave us a comment on our website, that's ethereus.org, or to email us, that's at spiritualfreedom at richardlawrence.co.uk. If there's anything that you'd like to share with us or if there's a question you'd like to ask, Richard about. Uh, you can also check out Richard's website, by the way, for the many books he's written, uh, including two with Dr. George King, as well as any recent interviews, podcasts, and events that he has presented. And I think just turning to the show today, Richard, um, you know, <laughs> a massive takeaway I think you've given us there. I love the theme of the show today, and I think it really does get to the heart of what spirituality is all about. I it's mind-blowing um, stuff, isn't it, uh, Darren? Absolutely. And you know, I do remember Dr. King saying at one point that that you know he could take one sentence out of virtually any transmission and he could talk about it and go into it for i don't know how long he said but you know certainly minutes maybe hours i think um 
you know, because there's so much to bring out of it. And I think we're right. We've, we've really hit gold here with this statement. And uh, we're just trying to mine away and, and draw what we can from it. Oh, yeah. And I think the beauty of it is that we could be mining for <laughs> many, many years to come. And we, uh, you know, somewhere <laughs> already have been. And here we still are. And we so, gather, uh, by the way, before we leave that, that on the higher realms of this, uh, especially the highest ones, they really are doing that. They're really studying this because they, they appreciate more than we do the massive significance and the massive change that, that the Nine Freedoms has brought to millennia, really, of teachings on Earth. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, it's, you know, we often talk about this in terms of the, um, the, the, you know, the change for the so-called sage who, you know, go into the wilderness and, and and seek their enlightenment. But you know, even closer to home in London or LA, for example, you know, people are asking themselves what spirituality is really about too. And the mainstream message, as we know, is is about going within and finding peace, etc., or has been for some time. And yet here we can see, uh, you know, if anyone looking for the meaning of life and the key to higher states, the answer, as you said, logically is is clearly service. I'm glad you mentioned logic because I do think it gets underrated sometimes in the New Age movement because people focus on experience and that's good. Go by your experiences. People focus on intuition. That's essential. But logic mm. is also key. And here we can see in this one uh, statement and this explanation by Dr. King, the logic of service. You know, it's not just a sacrifice. Yes, it can be a sacrifice. I mean, a lot of us would much rather be off in a beautiful location contemplating or doing practices mm. for our development. We Maybe we would. But there's a logic here, and it's a beautiful logic. We're all part of the whole. Anyway, sorry, Darren, I know you have questions for us. Well, well I think, uh, yeah, as a, as a, a follow-on there, a good question in here from a seeker. Um, this person says, may I ask a spiritual question? It's a genuine inquiry, not a challenging question. I don't understand why Jesus or God would need our interaction to perform the blessings. They're referring here to the 12 blessings. Surely this unlimited loving power of God doesn't need our input and blesses everyone anyway. Please help me with this. Sure. Well, um, first of all, I just want to remind our listeners, or especially if you're new, you won't know this. I never know the questions that are coming before they come. And I think that's the best way because it's much more uh, spontaneous then. And this is a good question. Uh, of course, uh, that. And there's no disrespect to the questioner because it's an important question. But, of course, humanity as a whole uh, tends to have a lazy approach uh, to God. That might sound odd, but uh, I think it's true. Like, well, let God do this and let the masters do that. and We'll sit back and they're capable of doing it. So we'll just go into our default position of idling about until they sort our world out. And I know that's not what the questioner was implying. But to answer it precisely... Sadly enough, God, Master Jesus, the cosmic masters do not have unlimited energy at their disposal because if they did, uh, they would go against karma, our karma. Uh, you look at it this way. If, you have, if you've got children, I don't, but if you do have uh, children, then you'll know that if they came home every night, and you, you could do all their homework, couldn't you? They don't even need to do it. Uh, why don't you just do it? What do they learn? Nothing at all. Um, so, of course, it's all dependent upon the energy that we exert as to how much karma is manipulated. And strangely, it can be more powerful from a karmic point of view, not necessarily from an energy point of view, when we pray, when we do the 12 blessings, than when uh, a master sends energy because that master is under karmic limitation because they would be interfering, 
you might even say interfering, which they would never do, in our evolution. We have to stand on our own two feet. We have to make the effort. But the good news, the more effort we make, the more they can karmically intervene. So it is all linked. And uh, they are able to help the more people do the 12 blessings, uh, join in with practices, serve, make an effort, the more intervention from the masters and from God, if you like, we deserve. I think that answers it, Taryn. Yeah, exactly. I'd say let's not make someone else responsible for our spiritual evolution. Let's, no. uh, and we're now going to go to our first guest today, who is Brian Craig, a long-standing staff member in London. Brian's background is in social work, human relations training and counselling, and he served as our healing administrator, as I mentioned, coordinating the spiritual healing sanctuary at our London temple, as well as our team of healers across the UK, Europe, and elsewhere too, certainly in Africa, I'm sure. So today, and, and we do send absent healing, and people need healing over a distance that can be arranged and get in touch with uh, us uh, at uh, theorist.org uh, or you can contact Brian uh, through the Ethereum Society and it will be arranged and he will organize healing for you using our team of healers. But today he's going to be sharing with us a moment of truth from his spiritual journey, one which inspired him with even greater determination on the spiritual path. So welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you very much, Richard. Well, my moment of truth, well, I've been on a search for a spiritual path for some years when I found the Ethereum Society at the Northern Headquarters, as it was then called, in Barnsley. I joined in 1985, a long time ago now, and became a close worker and Operation Prayer Part team member. I was a regular attender at services. One of the meetings I attended was a special one at a hotel in Wakefield hosted by John Holder. He had just come back from the American headquarters in Los Angeles and organised this meeting to tell the northern members of the society all about it. I was really fascinated to hear the details of the setup in LA, especially about our master. In his closing remarks at the end of the meeting, John said, If you haven't been, go to LA. And so I decided there and then, Yes, I will. So, a few months later in March 1990, my daughter Coral, then age nine, and I, we flew to LA and went for the first time to the American headquarters near Hollywood. There I met a number of Ethereum Society staff, the heroes of several cosmic missions, Lady Monique King, Irene Noppy, Charles Abrahamson, Alan Mosley, Ray Nielsen, Gary Blaze, Leslie and Al Young, Richard and Stephen Medway. Coral and I were fortunate enough to be taken on a pilgrimage to Mount Baldy, where the energy was like sharp needles. We attended services, and at one of them, we had the great privilege of receiving a blessing from our master. But the real peak experience of the whole visit for me, our master invited me into the transmissions room the scene of his contact with the Master Ethereus, Mars Sector 6, the Master Jesus, Sector S2, and many other great cosmic masters. It was also where these astounding trance and mental communications were meticulously recorded and stored. 
but I must admit I was completely overwhelmed by the intense vibrant energy in that holy room and by the energetic presence of our master. He was both physically and spiritually a giant. I'd never experienced any other being like him. He radiated a strong, intense, calm energy, which I had never encountered before in any human being. And I was totally dumbstruck and overawed. I couldn't speak as he kindly and gently pointed out different aspects of the room. Although I was inarticulate at the time, my experience in that room had a lasting impression on me. I'd been in the presence of an avatar, a cosmic master. I'd experienced some aspects of his reality, which somehow proved indelibly to me the truth of his mission on earth, his teachings, and those of the cosmic masters, and the role of the Ethereum Society on earth. Not long after that, I decided to become a staff member, and that was my moment of truth. Thank you, Brian. That's uh, wonderful memories you have shared with us there, very significant ones for you. Thank you very much, Brian Craig. Yes, that transmission room that Brian was referring to there, of course, is at the American headquarters in Los Angeles, and it can be visited. Uh, For those who are visiting, sometimes they are given a guided tour, even now, of that transmission room, which has been kept as a shrine, really, uh, to Dr. King. Anyway, returning back to our theme of today, um, we're looking, of course, at this key statement. And I'm now going to start by playing you another extract. And this extract follows straight after the one that I read to you earlier on uh, about creation, preservation, transmutation, and this being the AUM. So I'm going to ask Darren now to play Mars Sector 6 as he delivered the lines that followed this in the seventh freedom. You have been atoled. Guard well this sacred wisdom. A form even though you understand it not Now, there will come a time when you will. Your internal vibrations have been altered by these utterances. Do not ever again slip from the path For if you do, your fall will be doubly hard. And that refers again to the key statement regarding transmutation. And as Mars Sector 6 tells us there, we we won't, even though you understand it, not now, he says, there will come a time when you will. So even if we don't understand it fully, and I'm sure we don't, that understanding will gradually increase. And that's exactly what we're trying to do in this show, actually, increase that understanding and then apply it 
Because this concept of collective evolution as opposed to individual evolution is applied through service. We evolve when we are part of the whole, not when we try and break away from the whole. And this change, I believe, contains with it, and this is I'm giving this only as an opinion, uh, I've said this before, but that all the other great changes in our approach to spiritual evolution in these, in these days, especially that of service now being the number one priority, flow from that. As a matter of fact, it always was the number one priority in the cosmos, but on Earth, uh, due to our, and I'm going to have to say this, and I'm sorry to say this, I have to say selfishness. I believe there was an allowance for individual evolution through the philosophy of transmigration, and that allowance meant it could work. It wouldn't work now, but it was allowed uh, because we are, in a way, um, it might be in certain cases, I'll be dogmatic here, we are such a selfish race of people that we needed a selfish motivation even in spiritual things. We need to be told, look, if you go away, you're going to get this bliss. You're going to go and get this nirvana. If you break away, you don't have any responsibility for anything in the world at all. You leave all that behind and you're going to have this wonderful uh, thing. And of course, that would change along the way as a person evolved. If they really disciplined themselves and really took the path, that would start to be risen into something more compassionate and less selfish. But it was a gigantic carrot, and it did work uh, for a lot of people, uh, in ter- to a degree at least, and for some, it really worked. Uh, as I say, it's referred to as a path to um, ascension in the sixth freedom. But that allowance is now gone, and isn't it refreshing in a way? Isn't it good? Doesn't it feel good that we don't have to pander to that anymore? We're no longer being treated with great compassion as being too limited to be given the all-encompassing teaching of service because we're so selfish, we'll only take to the path if it is for our own personal benefit. And I want to say again, there were those who evolved themselves because they wanted to be able to help all life more. But I honestly think they would be few in number. The greatest among us uh, actually attained the highest of all initiations on earth ascension. And then through that, They could give service at a level way beyond any of our capabilities. But that's a minority, a tiny minority, a relative handful among the millions who through the centuries have taken the path of evolving themselves as individuals primarily for their own spiritual development. But that's gone now. That's in the metaphysical shredder where it possibly belongs. Um, if I'm permitted to say that. And in the extract we've just heard, Mars Sector 6 gives us some very timely advice that whether we understand it or not, or to what degree shall we say that we understand it, because we've been given these wonderful explanations by Dr. King to enhance our understanding, but this sacred wisdom has changed us and we need to be careful about this. This is very helpful advice, I feel. He says, our internal vibrations have been altered. Knowledge alters our internal vibrations. And a great uh, aspect of knowledge, whether we fully understand it or not, will bring about an alteration within the nadis uh, to the flow of prana within us and to some extent the activation of kundalini within us 
and our vibrations are changed. And he then advises never again to slip from the path because if we do, our fall will be twice as hard. Now, I'm sure there are many listening to this who'll say, well, they've never slipped from the path because they're not on a path. And you might think you're not on one. So how can you slip from it? And that's very understandable, except for one thing, reincarnation. We've all been on a variety of paths in a variety of religions throughout the lives. And I'm sorry to say that all of us have slipped from them. And that's very easy to prove. If we hadn't, we would have ascended by now. We've been here for hundreds of thousands of years, if you include the civilizations of Atlantis and Lemuria. Now, if you don't know what they are, on Wednesday, December the 8th at 7 p.m., Julian Rosser, who's appeared on the Spiritual Freedom Show more than once, is hosting a live event about Atlantis and Lemuria. Uh, and go to ethereus.org for details, which I recommend you to tune into. And I understand it will be available after the event too. But why would it be twice as hard? Well, one definite reason is because now it's collective, not an individual thing. So if we leave the path of service, we aren't only affecting ourselves, we're affecting all life. We're affecting those that we're no longer going to serve to some degree. We aren't just holding up our transmigration to God. We're now holding up transmutation of all life back to God, maybe to a tiny degree, but nevertheless to a degree. And that, of course, makes it far worse. Just as service is far greater, so a decision not to serve when you know how important it is and how much good you could do is got to be, hasn't it? It's got to be worse. So this advice by Mars Sector 6 to guard well this sacred wisdom, in other words, to be protective of it, to nurture it, to cultivate it, to maybe gradually, not forcibly, need, we need to be gentle with ourselves. We need to be, uh, Dot King once said, we need to be patient with our lower selves. And that is a very balanced, very helpful advice. But maybe gradually, hopefully not too gradually, we need to put this into practice through the one and only way we can, the most effective form of service we know of. And that is now the purpose of life, the meaning of life, the explanation of life. The realisation of life, it's all bundled into this one thing. You don't really need a long track. You certainly don't want me uh, going on and on and on about it, I'm sure. Uh, you don't want a diatribe with references and notes and translations and commentary to get the essence of this. You just need those two words. And, and I hope you'll take this away from the Spiritual Freedom Show and, and really uh, start to gain your own insights. I'm sure you'll have many insights that I haven't had that's one of the things that happens with the nine freedoms, and Mars Sector 6 did say this, that many thoughts come into your mind when you really start to study the nine freedoms. And I can absolutely vouch for that, and I'm sure you can too. So you can focus on the two words, transmutation, which is our evolution, and service, which is how we express it. And just before I leave that uh section and, and go to our next guest very shortly. I'm looking forward to listening to Zasha in a moment. Before I do, I for those who are experienced within the Ethereum Society, 
I just like to say this. I think there's an absolutely wonderful balance between the 12 blessings and the nine freedoms. Now, of course, the 12 blessings is a practice and it's a practice and you can go to 12blessings.org and please do and join in with us practicing. You'll see a full schedule of uh, 12 blessing services in audio form that you can join in with uh, on that site and send energy to the world. So it's a very practical thing, but it's also a teaching. It's also a philosophy. And there is a difference uh, in approach, not in truth, The truths are universal and they're completely consistent between the 12 blessings of the nine freedoms. But the approach isn't the same. One is a Venusian master of great compassion, great love, the master Jesus, uh, who sacrificed himself, as we know, on earth in the most terrible, awful death. And the other is a karmic lord, Mars Sector 6. And we have been told the nine freedoms is the greatest of the teachings we've ever been given, which would include the 12 blessings. But there's also a balance between them. And in the 12 blessings, for those who are familiar with it, you have a lot of emphasis on sacrifice. I think that's one of the most common words in the 12 blessings. Another one is peace, actually. So there's a balance right there. But we see the sacrifice made by higher beings, by the galaxy, by the earth. Terrible sacrifice. The Mother Earth is making for us all the time. And, uh, you know, our various... Um, gatherings of, of, of world leaders aren't focused on her sacrifice. They're only focused on the well-being of humanity on Earth. Uh, and that's a gross imbalance in their deliberations. But in the nine freedoms, we see some another a balancing factor. This is the point I'm making. We see the logic, if you like, of that sacrifice. And we see it in this concept of transmutation, that, yes, it's a tremendous sacrifice, But there's a reason for it, and they know the reason for it, and they live the reason for it, and they demonstrate this teaching every second of every day. Every time you look at the sun, you're seeing or feel the sun on your skin. You're seeing and feeling a a demonstration of transmutation, of collective evolution demonstrated by the sun and the lords of the sun. So let's go now to Zasha Brazili, and I'm delighted to welcome her back to the show. Uh, uh, she's been on before, of course, and she's someone who grew up with teachings such as the Nine Freedoms. She hails from South Africa. She introduced to this by her mother, who was a member. She became a junior member of this society when she was just nine years old. And my goodness, she has demonstrated resilience. She has stuck to the path. We all get tested, all of us. And it's not always an easy thing to do. And she has really demonstrated that. At 21, she moved to London to be closer to the Ethereum Society. She's now a minister, a popular workshop presenter, who's been teaching the practices given to us by Dr. King for many years. Today, she's going to lead us in yoga breathing, visualization and prayer to help uplift and inspire our world. So welcome back, Zasha. Thank you so very much, Richard, and thank you, Darren. It's wonderful to be back on the show uh, today. So let's uh, get into this, into our moment of uh, application, our moment of practice, and start to absorb this wondrous energy, this universal life force, this prana, this chi, the great building block of all creation 
that makes manifestation possible and affects all levels of manifestation. Let's become a magnet for this wondrous power and draw this into ourselves to radiate it outwards in service. Let's make sure we remove any rings, watches, bracelets, have our spine and neck straight, no tension in the shoulders, feet flat on the floor if possible, and have our palms face downwards on the knees, fingers spread out. Relax and close our eyes, trying to detach from the thoughts of the day and be still and go within deep within, into that all-knowledge, silent space within us. Let's spend a few moments connecting with this. And now let us take some long, deep and even breaths through the nostrils, mouth closed. Deep and even, even is the key here. Keep this deep rhythmic breathing going for a few moments, revitalizing all cells, stilling our minds and bodies allowing us to become more attuned, open channels for vibrant, life-giving spiritual energy. Dr. George King states, you can enhance dynamic prayer, I would estimate, something like two or three thousand times with a few minutes practice of yoga breathing, because this is the key to all success. And now let us think down to the sacred ground beneath our feet the living, breathing Goddess Earth and request from her in reverence for her sacred, gentle, velvety, violet flame to come upwards through the feet, through the legs, through the aura, through all aspects of our being, protecting, purifying, cleansing as it courses upwards and take it out the top of our heads as high as we can visualize. Really try and see and feel this violet vibration 
from this beautiful goddess that gives us all life and valuable experience and complete sacrifice and divine patience for us all. And now bring down from the ethers of space above a scintillating white light and bring this down through the head, charging every cell of the brain with this dynamic energy. And take it down the neck, over the shoulders, through the chest and into the heart chakra, which is situated a few inches in front of the breastbone in the aura and fill this heart center with this vibrant white light. See it shining outwards like a star unto all the world. And I've chosen this particular prayer, which was delivered in 1958 through the outstanding, outstanding yogic mediumship of Dr. George King in the mystical text and practice of the 12 blessings given by the Cosmic Master of Love, the Master Jesus. This is the sixth blessing dedicated to those who heal in these days of great pain and suffering. This is one of my favorite prayers in the 12 blessings, as I find it touches my soul so deeply and really helps me draw out more completely the very essence of love and feeling, which is a vital ingredient for the correct performance and most effective output of this service practice. So during this prayer and any other radiation of spiritual energy practice, we will adopt the prayer mudra or hand sign, where we raise the hands so they're roughly parallel with the shoulders, facing forwards in front of you, fingers together. Make sure the eyes are closed, visualize white light streaming forth from the heart center, and the palms of the hands, and going out to the focal point of the blessing or prayer. Always visualize the positive. So let's raise our hands now, close our eyes, concentrate with all our love and feeling as we join in silently or out loud with this prayer. Oh, divine Lord of all wondrous creation, we raise our voices and minds to you now in prayer, knowing, even as we do, that this is answered at this moment. O oh, wondrous God, we ask that the hearts and minds of man might be open to thy presence, to thy mighty light, so that they may forever glorify thee, so that they may realize that within them beats a spark directly connected to thy wondrous heart. We raise our minds in thankfulness for the fulfillment of our prayer, for this shall come to pass upon this earth 
And now let us perform the ceiling mudra, brushing the right palm over the left palm, away from yourself just once. This serves to seal the energy flow and helps us to detach from the practice we've just performed. Thank you. And thank you, Zasha. That was absolutely beautiful. Thank you very much. And don't forget, you can listen back to these and you can, if you want to, you know, skip through some of my commentary, if you like, and go straight to a moment of truth or straight to a practice like that one there led by Zasha and hear it and join in again. So, Darren, welcome back then, our producer. Your thoughts? Yeah, well, just um, just very much on this theme of healing, I just prompted here to uh, pull out an anecdote that was shared recently by one of our listeners. Um, I, I think one very very much well worth sharing. So this person had been driving on a quick errand and saw a cyclist, a young man who had been knocked off his bike and landed on his head. And he was in a state, as you can imagine, bleeding quite a lot. Um, so, but she's a nurse and she pulled over and went to him immediately. And she checked all the basics, you know, was he breathing, was he conscious, able to respond, etc. But then she suddenly thought, well, I, I can give him healing. Mm-hmm. So she made a little excuse to take his hand and she thought this healing energy into him. And as she did this, the young man gasped. And another woman who was there asked him, you know, are you okay? And his eyes just lit up. And looking at this nurse giving him healing, he said, well, I am now your hands. And he just <laughs> he just seemed to be wow. a little bit of awe. And, um, you know, I heard that story. I just thought, you know, it goes to show that we can all make the things like healing, as Zasha's been going through today, a real part of our life to help, you know, all of those around us who, who are in need. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's a great thing. We Over the years, we've had a number of nurses and actually sometimes doctors and other health therapists take our healing course. And, um, you know, they are they can then enhance. Now, you know, what I love about that is the balance, the fact that, yes, you did all the things you need to do medically. If you need to call an ambulance, call an ambulance and etc. Go follow medical advice, all of that and have the healing as well. And I've certainly been in a situation where I've had to do that. I've had to have, a, say, surgery. But also I know the healing. I could, you can feel the effect of the healing as well. They work together. And if you have a nurse or a doctor or someone who's in contact with their patients, they can use it. I mean, it's just a natural thing. And sometimes they won't even they may not even believe in healing. And yet, because of their compassion, their love, their concern, their channeling energy, but if you do believe in it and you understand the chakras and the palms of the hands and, and the other aspects of healing as published in You Too Can Heal and The Magic of Healing, those two books, full technique is in both those books, uh, it can really help in that work. That's a beautiful uh, anecdote, Darren. Yeah, I think you've really got a good point there about the complementarity between you know the things that you need to do and also the yeah. the prayer and the healing and you know as part of a broader theme, I guess, about work and prayer and how they go so beautifully hand in hand that we've heard Indeed. also in the teachings too. And I think we've got time for another, Darren. Yeah, I just share a very interesting one we got here. This person says, "I've been doing the practices from the Realize the Realize book, and I'm very happy with them. But each mm. time we do the aura cleansing practice, I see about five stars blinking in front of me." I don't know what it really means. So I'm asking if you might be able to tell me something about what this Gosh. could mean. <laughs> I am stumped. I mean, I have never heard that. That's a, It's a rather wonderful thing. I mean, my first thought, and I, I could be right or wrong here, is prana. There are five pranas. And, oh, wow, um, you know, is it a he or she, whichever it is, that's the person sees five every time. Uh, the violet flame... Uh, practice she's referring to there we we were led in that by Sasha earlier the aura cleansing practice is the raising of the violet flame 
And that's a balancing force, of course. It comes from the Mother Earth. Uh, it doesn't come from the sun. Uh, but it, So it sounds like um, bringing that force through brings a certain balance and enables the person, I would say, to become aware of pranas in general. That would be my first thought. I can't say exactly what it means. Uh, but being stars as well, because stars are suns. And all mm. the prana in this solar system, of course, flows through or from, either or and, the sun. Um, and, of course, uh, we know that it flows in every 32 minutes. That's a revelation Dr. King made. So if you were able to do pranayama, and I've certainly tried this, for 32 times 5, I believe, is uh let me i'm working it out in my head what's that is that a 160 that sounds to me like two hours 40 minutes 160 that's right yeah. 160 if you were able to do it for that length of time you could guarantee then that during that time you're going to get the prana that you particularly need the most if you're not able i mean the old yogis they could determine they knew the flow of pranas they knew uh, when a particular prana would be flowing, and then they would do certain practices to draw that particular prana to them. The pranas are also linked to the elements, of course, or what is called uh, in certain writings, such as in the Nature's Finer Forces, the tattvas, the qualities, um, and, and and the senses, by the way, also are an aspect of, of those pranas. So five is a key number, and so I think it's, it's certainly significant, and um, it could be... Uh, if it's done as a precursor, of course, as it often is, the violet flame can be done either after the white light. Very often we do it that way, but it can also be done before it. And it would seem to me that that person is uh, either needs to or is it being inspired to or becoming aware of a drawing of pranic energy to them. That would be my understanding of it. Well, I think that's a very inspired interpretation, which is much more than I than I had um, than I had come up with when I was thinking of that. But I, th I think um, you know it goes to show as well that the more we do these practices, um, really and really do them, the more we will be able to prove to ourselves um, how much they can really raise our vibration, change us, open us up to the reality of what life really is. Oh, that's a great ending to the show. So I want on that note to thank you, uh, Darren, and to thank our guests as Brian Craig and Zasha Brazili for their wonderful contributions today. We're going to be carrying on looking at, for one more time only, at this great revelation about transmigration being replaced by transmutation. I especially want to thank you, our listeners, and let us always, as we always do, and perhaps even more than we've done in the past after today's show, remember that service is the jewel in the rock of attainment. Thank you.